Welcome to the Hardware Asylum Podcast. In this episode, we talk about the new build section on the website and what we have planned for that. And I go over some of the less technical stuff of Computex. I'm your host, Dennis Garcia, and with me today, I have Darren McKay. Darren, I like to do a few upgrades to Hardware Asylum. It, maybe it's converting from ninjaling.com to a new website and creating a new logo and look and feel and all that stuff. But I like to add features sometimes too. Well, that is maybe a side effect of your day job. Yeah, the day job. (laughs) When I'm not reviewing hardware, I'm doing other stuff. So in any event, one of the features that I've wanted to bring to even Ninja Lane before was a builds sort of section where I would spec computer builds. Because people ask me all the time, what video card do you like? What process do you like? I want to build a gaming PC for X amount of dollars. What should I do? You know, I get those questions all the time. And short of pointing at CyberPower PC, go buy this. (laughs) Right. There's a lot of different variables there. It seems like every website does some sort of recommended build article or something. Yeah. Well, they all get the same questions, I think. But I want to do something a little bit different and a little bit exciting. Oh, okay. You know, back in the day, I tried to start a new website called, um, or an additional website, called Upgrade Alley. Oh, that's a catchy name. Yeah. The idea there was that I would start with a, like a gaming computer. And then once a month, I would upgrade something on that gaming computer. So it'd be just like, you know, an enthusiast building his system over time. So you start with something that costs $500, and when you're done, it might be a $2,000 PC, but you never spent more than $800 on it. Now, that's a process that I'm very familiar with. Yes. Now, I wanted to put this into website form and make it somewhat educational and whatnot. From a technical standpoint, I couldn't bring it together uh, in such a way that I really liked it. And you know, now there's sites like PC Part Picker that do a really good job of being able to put a computer together, but it's crowdsourced at that point. It's not really an expert saying, okay, put this computer together. Cause you'll get people that do like an AMD FM two plus system and then put a 980 classified on there. Oh yeah. So it's very aggregate, not, yeah. mean, it's almost like a shopping list motivator. Yeah. And it's not, not exactly what I want to do. So with, um, this new section that I'm going to be calling, builds or basically hardware item builds want to spec three different levels of computer one okay. one would be like a general purpose machine this would be anything that you might build for a best friend or build for your mom or something that you want to build for your grandma or something like that so more of an entry level budget friendly pc yeah something like that maybe with a, a price ceiling of i don't know eight hundred dollars something challenging right okay you know, and this might even be like an all-in-one PC. Like, you were just showing me something at HP that was $300. Oh, yeah. It's hard to beat those prices if you don't look under the hood. Yeah. I mean, that's a nuck and yuck. <laughs> those rhyme, by the way. Uh, and then we're going to be doing a, a general-purpose gaming sort of section. Oh, uh, now that's the kind of machine that I hold near and dear. And that's the one I want you to work on, by <laughs> oh, the way. no. I love the challenge of trying to put together a gaming PC on a budget. Well, this maybe not have a budget like what you're thinking. You know, we want realistic machines here. We don't want, you know, every other website, they have a gaming PC. I want a gaming PC for less than $1,000. Oh. You know, that is admirable, but not very exciting either. So, you know, maybe we'll 
up that to maybe $1,500 and make it a realistic, good gaming system. Sure, something that's going to last you more than a season. And then the last section, because we're going to be doing this in threes, would be, for the lack of another term, the unlimited. Ooh. Pretty much the sky's the limit, whatever you want to put down on paper. So oh, I like the sounds of that. So as much as you can imagine, huh? Yeah, and then some. So like, for instance, the first build that I have planned is a four-way overclocking rig designed for benchmarking with LN2. Wow, that's impressive. And we're going to include containers. We're going to include cards, motherboards, processor, everything. So you get an idea of the cost of entry for doing super high-end LN2 overclocking. Talked about that quite a bit because there is definitely a price barrier to getting especially into competitive and record-breaking overclocking. And believe it or not, I haven't even surpassed that barrier yet. So this will be a system that I could spec out that I haven't even fathomed to to do. So the Unlimited is kind of looking into the mind of Dennis and seeing what your wish list looks like. Yeah, something like that. But, you know, it, it may not be just overclocking. It might be, you know, this would be the super high-end four-way SLI something something and then the next one might be just a general um, like a stream box or you know a server so we've talked quite a bit especially recently about the availability of some of those high-end parts though so what is your plan for uh, sourcing those how would you find those parts that is a very good question because as you know parts can be here one day and they can be gone the next day I don't think that the builds would be very realistic if I tried to make it last. Uh, I see what you're saying. Well, especially at the high end, because you would be using your method of making changes based on what parts were available. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So if I did a build for July that happened to be a four-way rig, and I'm using, you know, 980 Kingpin cards from EVGA. (laughs) Four of those would be nice. Yeah, that would be really nice, actually. Come August, when the 980 ties are available, then, you know, maybe we'll just revisit it and change them to 980 ties. Well, I like the way that you're thinking because I have seen some higher-end builds on some of the major sites, but most of them have really specific limitations. So there isn't really a pie-in-the-sky, wish-listy sort of PC build out there. And I think we all like to daydream about what we'd build if we just had the budget. Right. You know, I guess if I wanted to limit myself, I don't want to do just an insane build. Like, for instance, there was, I want to call it like nerd.com or something like that. It was <laughs> some crazy website from a long time ago. They had a similar build section, and they had a kind of an unlimited sky's the limit sort of system. And they were putting together a really weird combination of gear, like video card processor, memory, and then 15 hard drives in a RAID 0. Just because you can. Yeah, it? It, doesn't make sense. So everything that I'll be putting together in the unlimited would be not for the sake of doing it, but doing it for a purpose. Oh, I like it. It's purpose built. And that's kind of the intent of, of the build section is everything's going to be purpose built. We can um, talk about why we would put it together this way, why we picked the parts that we did. There'll be links to shopping on there, which is one of the other driving factors of it. So that when and if you want to purchase a particular item that's in there, you can see how much it actually costs. Get a real-time cost on that. Oh, that's innovative too. So frequently I see price quotes that just don't make sense when I go out and look because 
you know, the price changes so frequently. Mm-hmm. And that's one reason I never did prices on Ninja Lane and also on Hardware Silence because I didn't want to maintain those things. So now I have a way that I can pull in real-time prices of an item and have it go away if it isn't available anymore. So obviously we'll put the prices at, you know, when the build was done, those are the prices we're going to list. If you happen to come back to a build from six months ago, and you see a motherboard for $400, and now you can get it for 50 Hey, wow, bonus for there. Well, and that means that you could build that system from that snapshot in time at a future date. Mm-hmm. And maybe when the price is dramatically more affordable, if your budget needs that. I think I get the idea where your vision's coming from. So what's your implementation plan? What can we look forward to? I'm going to try to have this launched by July 1st, if not sooner. So we'll be starting out with two builds. There'll be... Um, the one that I have in there right now, which is a stream box. Basically, it's the podcast machine that we use to record the podcast on. Right, okay. And then that four-way SLI overclocking rig. Very nice. We're working on that. So something to look forward to, a new feature, and we'd love to have you guys stick around, check that out, and provide us with feedback so we can see if we're meeting your needs. And maybe more importantly, if you agree with our choices, there's definitely always something out there that we may not have seen. So check back in. Some of you probably know that we talk a lot about the podcasting schedule, especially the irregularities on the Facebook page. In fact, Dennis posts status updates sometimes during the podcast, and tonight is no exception. So as we're recording this, we have posted a, I think, kind of an interesting picture of a Taiwan beer that Dennis brought back from Computex. It's an import <laughs> from my suitcase. It's a fresh import. In fact, you were saying that this is a very fresh beer. What was the date that was on this? Okay, so on the back uh, in Chinese here, it actually has Arabic numbers, Arabic which is good. Numbers. Yeah, but here's like date bottled and date good. So it got bottled May 11th, 2015, and it's good until November 10th, 2015. And for full disclosure, it's right now June 22nd. The night that we're recording. That's right. Yeah. So this beer in this glass is one month old. At the risk of sounding snobby, I should point out also that I'm not really a regular beer drinker, but I do enjoy a beer occasionally when we are podcasting. It seems to be a uh, going trend. So this particular beer is a... Distinctive flavor lager beer that is a multiple Monde Selection at Brussels, which I'm guessing is a beer festival. Mm -hmm. I just want to describe this beer because it's so different than what I think a beer should be like. And I kind of want to juxtapose this with the difference in culture between America and Taiwan without sounding like a snobby American, if that's possible. Well, we're American, so we are at disadvantage. Right. So I enjoy imported beer on occasion myself. But this one is different in a sense that this is, for lack of a better term, the most blonde or pale beer I think I've ever had. <laughs> it's it's a Pilsner style beer. It's a lager, obviously. Right. Um, it's very light. As many of you know, and Darren knows, uh, Taiwan is subtropical region. It's pretty much cl- close to the equator. Pretty darn hot. Um, hot and humid. In those sorts of situations, it's a lot like Mexico, where all the beers in Mexico are very light, very watery. Uh They don't really have a lot of alcohol, not a lot of hops, because in the heat, that 
doesn't sit so well sometimes. I see. Now, this is not by any stretch what I would consider a top shelf for an expensive liquor, is it? No, no. It's cost me 59 NT, which works out to be roughly like a buck and a half. So yeah, this is your cheap daily drinking standard beer, as oh, many, oh. many of us Americans would call it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to take that one step further, when I bought this bottle, it was around 10 a.m., and the clerk asked me if he wanted me to, wanted him to open it. Ah, like, like here you go. It's like you want this open. I like, uh, no, I'm good. I'm gonna put this in my bag. Like, oh, okay. And then I walked away. Refreshing. That's almost like some kind of crazy beer commercial moment. Yeah. Well, somewhat, and especially since you can't really drink beer on the streets in Taiwan. Mm. Although people drink all the time, so yeah, go figure. One of the reasons I wanted to talk about this particular beer was it gives us an opportunity to talk in addition to our regular Computex coverage that we had on the very recent podcast, about some of the less technical or off-the-grid things that you experience when you're in Taiwan for the show. And this is kind of a, a great opportunity. You brought this back to, to share just for fun, and I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And it is, again, I mentioned, I mean, it's good, but it's it's almost non-existent. So the refreshing, I could see this being a good cool drink for a warm, muggy afternoon without really any lasting... Well, anything. When I describe this beer to people, it's I, I try to say, well, it's kind of like Budweiser. Although Budweiser has kind of a distinctive flavor, it also doesn't have a very skunky smell, whereas this beer has a kind of a that skunky smell, but then you don't taste that. Yeah. In fact, it finishes like a water. I was a little afraid when I first smelled it, mm-hmm. but it wasn't bad. And, you know, one should also point out that as we're recording this, because it is the tail end of June, it's, it's hot here. And oh, yeah. so it is very refreshing. Now, you mentioned going out and getting this beer, but I know that when you weren't interviewing and doing after parties, and in fact, while you were out getting this beer, you were out doing some non-Computex-related activities. And I wanted to talk about those a little bit, just as sort of a travel log of different types of things that you might do while you're in Computex, especially since you've been there so many years. Sure. When I go to Computex, I do a, um, I purposely, you know, after, let's see, 2003 was my first year going to, to Taiwan. I've been there 12 times. I missed two years. So I've been to 11 Computexes basically 13 years ago was my first one. When I first went, I basically landed and then went to the show that afternoon. So I didn't get any sleep and <laughs> came back to the hotel at like three o'clock, fell asleep. After that, I decided, well, there's more to see here. Well, yeah. So I started adding an extra week to the Computex week. So I'd do one week Computex, all business all the time, and then a week of sightseeing. Like one year I went to Taichung, which is you get on the high-speed rail, you can go down to middle Taiwan, basically. There's a couple of parks and some night markets there. They're kind of fun. Nice adventure. A lot of what I do requires a car and i'm fortunate enough to have some really good friends in taiwan that have cars so like one year i went to keelong and then i had a friend pick me up at the train station and we drove around the city and got to see some of the old forts that were built in the 1800s and some caves got rained on because in (laughs) keelong it's basically the taiwan version of seattle which is kind of funny this last year speaking of alcohol on the complete polar opposite of Taiwan beer, which is a very famous beer in Taipei City, 
in Taiwan in general, went to the Kavalong Distillery. Oh, that sounds like it's my speed. They make uh, single malt whiskey. Ooh. And according to um, some recent competition, they have the best whiskey in the world. Now, this is something that I do have a little experience with, even if I am not the whiskey connoisseur, in a sense that I know that the Japanese, Chinese, that whole area, including Taiwan, is really become a hotbed for fine liquors in general. In fact, a lot of American distilleries, famous ones even like Jim Bean, for example, have been or are in the process of being purchased by foreign companies. And most of those are happening in the Oriental area where this type of liquor, the single malt is a great example, that's exploding over there. That's considered an upper-class symbol. Yeah. Asians like high-end stuff, for the lack of another term. You put in a coach store, it's going to sell stuff because they like that. It's, uh, it's a status symbol. It's um face, if you will. It's an Asian thing, which we can bring that up later in another <laughs> thing that I talk about. But So this, this distillery, which one did you go to? Well, there's only one distillery, and it's Kavalon. Oh, okay. It's in the Elon uh, district, so it's eastern Taiwan. And to get there, you leave Taipei, and you drive through a series of tunnels, one of them being over 12 kilometers long, which is kind of fun. Wow. Goes on to the eastern coast. There's um, a bunch of cities there, but... Elon is basically the, the region, right? So we drove out to uh, the Kavalon Distillery. They have a self-guided walking tour through the distillery. So you go up, um, and I'm trying to describe this as best <laughs> I can. For, okay. you know, this is radio. Hot and humid. It's not as hot as it is in Taipei City, but it's pretty humid because they're close to the, the uh, ocean. You walk into the distillery, and you start walking up the stairs, and you immediately start to smell fermentation. Okay. You know, the, the mashing process. So there's a bit of uh, sweetness in the air and a bit of rotten in the air, which is, you know, normal for fermentation. Walk in and then immediately you see some displays with some barrels and about how the distillery got started, the people that were involved and, you know, some of the process of actually building it up. And then you see the mashing room, which is huge stainless steel vats, which is where they they take the, the grains, convert the starches into sugars. It's a boiling process, and that happens over a period of several hours to sometimes a day. And then it goes into um, the fermentation portion of this when they start pitching the yeast in there, and then the, uh, the fungus gets in there, converts all the sugars into alcohol. And you can use any kind of sugar, but for it to be whiskey, it has to be a grain, or it has to be corn. So I believe um, Jack Daniels is all corn. And then they do a filtering process to remove some of the harmful alcohols. Well, and the, the Cavalon they go through and then they also have, um, after that they do the distilling and that's where they heat it up to a certain temperature and then recondense it. And that's how you get the alcohol out of it. Instead of uh, filtering it through charcoal, which removes the harmful alcohol that gives you headaches and stuff like that, they just distill it and distill it to remove all that stuff. Interesting. Because every alcohol has a different temperature. So they go and distill it to get that proper temperature to get the proper alcohol that they want. And then they throw away the rest. That sounds impressive. Yeah. Um, the whiskey that won the award is aged in a wine cask. 
So they get these wine casks that, um, you know, aged wine. Then they char them because to be in whiskey, it has to be in a charred barrel. And then it goes in the barrel. And these are aged for something like five years, whereas scotches and whatnot are aged for 14, 20 years, something like that. And the aging process is how long it's in the, the barrel. Supposedly, these whiskeys that are coming out of uh, the Kavalon distillery are at a higher quality than some of the scotches that are aged for even longer. Wow, that's a pretty high recommend. Yeah, so I'm not much of a um, of a whiskey snob, so I'm not, you know, I'm, I can't talk about nosing and stuff like that, but when you get down to where the barrels are, sorry, the smell changes from the fermentation to a heavy alcohol smell. So kind of like you take the top off of a rubbing alcohol container and just kind of smell it. So it's not harsh like rubbing alcohol, but it has that sort of aroma. And that is basically like the distillation portion of it. You almost feel drunk walking in there. It's pretty strange. But uh, after the, the walking tour, you go across the quad into the gift shop. And there you get to do um, a tasting before you go through the actual gift shop. So they have the eight different uh, whiskeys that they produce all in like little slivers in the bottom. So you can take the cap off and smell it, get the proper nosing. Some of them, to be honest, uh, smell like industrial alcohol. Oh, no. Very, very harsh, very, you know, (laughs) not mellow at all. Uh, Some of them actually have like a bouquet sort of smell. You have like herbs and some uh, vanilla, you know, flowery smells, stuff like that. Those ones are really cool because they're also darker than some of the other ones. So... Uh, but as part of that, you get to, um, they, you know, they go through the process of like how to smell a whiskey and which ones smell differently and the reasons that they smell that way. And then you get to taste it. So you get to pour a little bit of water in there, shake it around, and then, you know, drink as much as you want. Very cool. Would yeah. you recommend it? It sounds like fun. It, it's a fun little afternoon. You know, if you're in Taipei or in Elon County, obviously it's pretty easy to get to. Of course, you will need a car. You either need to um, rent a car or have know somebody that has a car. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to get there. But yeah, it's a, it's a fun little afternoon. And then afterwards, you know, you get to do a tasting. You get to buy some um, souvenirs. You could buy some Kavalon whiskey and bring it home with you. Did you bring home a cask? No, I did not. <laughs> um, unfortunately, to bring alcohol of any kind over... Is it fourteen percent in the bottle? You have to pay duty. Oh yeah, they'll get you on the way out. Yeah, to bring it back into these states, you have to pay a handsome fine for that. Of course, with uh, the Taiwan beer, I was able to put that just in my luggage and bring it back. Nobody really cared. Yeah, so, oh, you bring a, it back water. It's kind of a different animal. Well, that sounds like fun. The distillery was good. Now you posted some other pictures on the Facebook that were intriguing of a of an outing. I. I think it was a gondola. Yeah, so my last day in Taiwan, I was uh, bored. I didn't really have much to do. So I decided to take the MRT and just go on an MRT ride. You can take um, the MRT out to the zoo. And then when you get to the zoo, there's uh, the Maokong gondola. I think I pronounced that right. It's run by the same people that run the MRT. So you can get in there, run your little rail card, get in the thing and... There's four stops. 
and I went all the way to Mao Kong. It's basically a mountain city, famous for some of the teas that they produce. But around there, there's also hiking paths. Um, so this is food and stuff like, like that. up the side of a mountain, essentially. Yeah. Nice. In the mountains, you go up. What's it? At least I think you go up a thousand feet or something like that from Taipei to the top of the of the hill. So you had some pretty good views, I take it. Yeah. Well, as much as you can with all the smog and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, there's that. Okay. But yeah, I got uh, some really good photos. Um, I didn't try any of the food up there, partially because the further away you get from the tourist areas, the less English you run into. Oh, yeah. Well, I'd be a little worried about quality control, too. Quality isn't really the problem. It's a matter of ordering the right stuff. Oh, you could get something really odd then, is what you're saying. Yeah, like, you know, sheep brain. Oh, sheep brain. Yeah, now, when you talk about Taiwan, that's not an area that I normally associate with really weird foods, but I guess all Oriental food is very different from what we enjoy here in the West, and especially Oriental food as an American would picture it. Did you have any other interesting food experiences? If we all went to... um the CNN number one top food pick for Taipei, Taiwan. Now that sounds like a pretty good recommendation. Yeah, CNN CNN's Trump. number one. This has been several years since it had been rated, but it's still very, very popular. You know, we were waiting in line to find a seat. It's a hole-in-the-wall sort of restaurant. It's very authentic, very Taiwanese. Their English menu had pictures on it, still with Chinese characters, which I thought was kind of funny. Oh, so you have to point and hope. Yeah. Unless you have a local friend. Yeah, unless you have a local friend. Uh, Sam can speak Chinese. He can't read it, though. So he was the one that ordered for us, and he got some tea eggs, which are basically eggs that are boiled in tea. They they taste like hard-boiled eggs. We got some noodles and um, some greens, which is usually like spinach and stuff like that. But on the menu was um, sheep brain. So we could have sheep brain if we really wanted. Wow. It's not really what I wanted. Well, to be fair, you know, we live in a pretty rural area, and it's not difficult to get different things like cow brain tacos, for example, but it's not something you normally see on a menu. No, no, and it's not something that I really want to eat, especially in a foreign land, but (laughs) the experience was cool. It was very, very street vendor. You see these places all over Taiwan and you walk by them. Some of them have stinky tofu and it just smells ghastly because of the tofu. Other ones, they have, um, you know, one might serve fish dumplings. Other ones might be, you know, noodles and stuff like that. So just all whatever you fancy. Very interesting. Now, you haven't talked about something else I saw on the Facebook, another for the Facebook site, maybe, but that was, I think you saw some local beers there. At least I saw some sockeye cups in a picture. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. So this goes back to one of my previous comments about, you know, Asian face and wanting <laughs> right. quality things. So one of my first or second trips to Taiwan, I went to a, a beer bar, a Belgian beer bar called Cafe Odeon or Odeon or something like that. I can never pronounce it right. And they always correct me. This place was, um, it reminded me of a coffee shop, like Flying M here, which is a local coffee shop in, um, in Boise. Go in, couches, no TVs, kind of low ambient music, paintings on the wall, stuff like that. But they serve beer. 
And it was run by a guy named Arvin. He was very, very nice. He studied English in college, you know, so he spoke English very, very well. Catered a lot to Westerners. And he set up this uh, beer bar for that purpose. So I went there. I was very, very impressed. You know, my local friend was good friends with him. So it was an easy in. Nice. Several years later, I had the 10-year anniversary of NinjaLane.com. Arvin allowed us to have the back patio, and I basically rented that area. And he brought out beer and food and snacks, and we sat down, all 10 of us, and, you know, kind of had a party. Got really drunk. It was actually a really good time. That sounds like fun. Yeah. I had missed a couple of years, and it turns out that him and his wife split up, so his wife got the cafe, and he started his own place called Something Ales. <laughs> That's clever. And it's open from... Um, it's only in the evening, so he opens up at like 7 o'clock or 6 o'clock, and then it's open until 2 in the morning. And it just kind of caters to people walking in off the street, people from the college, because it's right next to a college. So far, I've been there every year that, it, that he's had it open. And again, I'm really impressed with it. I kind of like the, you know, just the kind of hole-in-the-wall beer bar sort of atmosphere. And it has a little bit of that Cafe Odeon as well. There's an upper level where there's a couple of couches, so you can be all secluded. Uh, take a date, you know, stuff like that. So this year, as a bit of appreciation, because he likes beer, he likes beer culture. And I kept telling him about some of the microbrews that are in Idaho. Some of them up north in Sandpoint, some of them here in Boise itself. So I put two 22-ounce bottles of beer, one from Ninsaki, which is the Tricera hops, and then Dogzilla from Laughing Dog, which is up north in Sandpoint. Put those in my bag, brought those along with uh, two American pint-sized tumblers from the Sockeye Brewery. So they had the Sockeye logo on the side. And then some other sort of like, you know, beer coasters and stuff. Okay. Brought those and gave them to him as a gift. He was just ecstatic. He's like, hey, American pints. <laughs> I guess they can't get those cups there. And, you know, the glasses that he serves all his beer and look like they came from a secondhand store. So they're all kind of mismatched and some have logos, some don't. And some of them are. He gets them purposely because of the type of beer that is supposed to be poured in them. But they there's no rhyme or reason why they're there. Yeah, There kinda, is to him. So Kind of adds to the charm, right? Yeah. So the first day we opened up the Tricerahops. He was really impressed because you can't get that in Taiwan. So the only way he would get that there is if somebody brought that. And then after Computex, we opened up the Dogzilla, which is a dark IPA. And he basically says, bring more of this. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. The, that first night of drinking, we, I don't know, we drank a lot. And um, he was so happy that he paid the tab. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's nice. Yeah. So we ended up forcing money on him saying, no, you need, you need money because... <laughs> You know, we can't drink all your beer for free, so. There you go. A little bit of an international beer exchange with mm-hmm. the Taiwan beer coming home. Yeah, and I brought Taiwan beer home, so. And the local beer from the Boise area, greater Boise area, mm-hmm. going with you. So a trend I think will continue. Well, I hope so. I, It's one of the ways to make friends in the Asian culture is, you know, you bring gifts. You bring something that they can't normally get. Maybe it's whiskey from Jim Bean, maybe it's beer from Northern Idaho. For more information on the topics discussed in this podcast, please consult our show notes on hardwareasylum.com. Stay up to date on the latest at Hardware Asylum by subscribing to our RSS. 
Follow us on Google or like us on Facebook. This has been a Ninja Lane production, copyright 2015. Thanks for listening.